Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, banking with greater momentum. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge, we're out to lunch with editor of the Baton Rouge Business Report, Stephanie Regal. It's business Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Quality education is a challenge in this country today. It seems like many of our schools are losing ground as public funding for education is being cut. At the same time, there's a greater emphasis on alternatives to traditional school systems and an increased interest in all things that help us think outside the box. Joining me today is Ashley Hurd, who spent a lot of time thinking about non-traditional education and the charter school system. Her firm, Ashley Hurd Consulting, specializes in helping nonprofit organizations that provide educational services like charter schools with fundraising, business development, and strategic planning. Ashley's clients include the Emerge Center for Autism, Greater Baton Rouge Hope Academy, and the Southern University Alumni Association. Ashley became interested in helping educational organizations when right out of college, she joined Teach for America as a special ed teacher in Washington, D.C. She went on to law school in Chicago, where she worked with the Chicago Public Schools and the Illinois Network of Charter Schools. She came to Baton Rouge in 2014 to work with a then-new charter organization, New Schools for Baton Rouge, which targets primarily North Baton Rouge. In 2016, she branched out on her own to help education and social service nonprofits throughout the state. Ashley, it's a pleasure to have you. Thanks Thank, for joining me on Out to Lunch. Me. With me and Ashley at the table is Missy Kuig, owner of The Conundrum, an independent bookstore in the heart of St. Francisville that has become something of an intellectual and literary hub in the charming town. The Conundrum not only sells books, but has become a meeting place for the community, hosting local and traveling authors, story times for smaller book lovers, and book festivals. Missy is a book lover herself, who this year is chairing the Walker Percy Festival Weekend, the Writers and Readers Symposium, and the West Feliciana Children's Book Festival. Missy is also active on the Chamber of Commerce and the Parish Tourist Commission, so it might surprise you to know she's a relative newcomer to St. Francisville who didn't move there until after Hurricane Katrina. Missy, you're doing so much great things there and serving as sort of an educational alternative yourself, so welcome to Out to Lunch. Well, thank you. I'm so pleased to be here. Ashley, I want to start with you. You worked for Teach for America. You helped run new schools for Baton Rouge. Now you're helping to raise money for charter schools. Does charter education work? And is it doing a better job of educating our kids? Sure, sure. I believe so. I mean, that's why I'm in this work. And, and I would say that the choice movement is important for kids and families, right? So every child is different. Every family wants something different for their children. And so it's our job as adults to give those families the choices that they need. So whether those schools are charter, traditional, public, private, I believe in the power of choice and in families' ability to choose what's right for their children. What is it about charter schools that makes them so attractive? Why is a charter school better 
in theory, than a public school. Sure. Well, I'll mention first that charters are public schools, right? Right, right, um, right. And, and a traditional public school. Exactly, say. exactly. Um, and I think what makes them unique is that they're autonomous. So while traditional public schools are often beholden to a larger district and um, to, to a much uh, broader Bureaucracy. Group of, exactly. <laughs> sometimes, right? And, and I, I have the utmost respect for traditional schools. Um, but with charters, you have um, a little bit more autonomy and flexibility to move faster. Um, so in our charter schools, we have schools that um, are serve a variety of students with a variety of needs using a variety of models and they're able to do that flexibly based upon the students that come in their door. Mm -hmm. Now what are you doing at Ashley Heard Consulting? How critical is the need to raise money for these organizations. Sure. So what I what I found exciting about the work that I get to do is, um, you know, there are lots of nonprofits who are doing excellent work in Baton Rouge and are operating on a shoestring budget. And so they often fall into a trap, right? They um, don't have the money to run the programs that they want to the degree that they want, and yet they can't hire someone to do the fundraising that they need. And so it really becomes a game of chicken or egg. Um, and so at Ashley Heard Consulting, we're able to come in with a flexible approach that meets the meets the needs of the organization, including including the budget that they have and help them raise the dollars they need either for individual programming that they want to add on to their existing model or for ongoing operations. And fundraising is such a huge thing Absolutely. right now. We want to visit some more about that. But Missy, I wanted to talk to you because you're sort of almost on the enrichment end, right? And yes. you're not directly in education, but with a small retail business that helps people think, offering them rich events like book festivals and author events. You said you always dreamed of, of opening a bookstore, you know, as a retirement job or a second right, career. Right, right. You're too young to retire. <laughs> has it lived up to the dream? Absolutely. Um, I can't imagine doing anything else. I, I lived my entire career in corporate America, you might call it, but in sales. So I was a an insurance agent. I was a marketing rep for insurance companies. I went into pharmaceutical sales where I was a pharmaceutical representative, and then I was a manager for a pharmaceutical company, and I'm always traveling around just a million miles an hour. Sure. But I always had a book in my lap when I was doing it. And so now I'm in the bookstore, where literally I get to spend the entire day, and I thought that would drive me crazy. I thought the thought of sitting in one place right. would be the end of me. I cannot tell you. It is my happy place. It's a wonderful thing. People come in and they want to talk about books all day. They want to tell you about the book that changed their lives or the book that made them a reader or the book that convinced their six-year-old child yeah. to pick up a book and learn to love to read. It's, it's an amazing opportunity. How does a small bookstore compete today against an Amazon or, you know, the ebook world? Well, is, it, is, it a, is it a viable business model? <laughs> I think you'll get different answers on different days <laughs> when you ask that question to people. But the real answer is that people crave connectedness in this world. And yes, you can buy a book on Amazon. Yes, you can download a book anywhere or, you know, have something mailed to you. But can you go in and ask someone, you know, someone came in yesterday, for instance, and they're on their way on a trip. And they want to know, I'm going on this trip. I need something that I can read in the airport. Have you read these three books? Mm -hmm. And I'm able to tell them something about each one of the books so that they said, okay, this is the one. You can't do that right. with a website. You know, you might say, what are the top ten books, you know, currently selling? But that doesn't tell you what you enjoy. So this way we're able to talk and have an actual communication and connection between people. That's so wonderful. Who Who's buying books? I mean, do you get young people in there, or is it mostly older people? Oh, absolutely young people. Our biggest sellers are children's books. Children, you know, I think one of the best things that's happened in education recently is the AR Reader Points. 
So children are, are incentivized to read right. by getting points that get them prizes and help with um, different things in their schooling. And so they want to read and they want to hit that next level and come in and, you know, talk about, and they're into series now, all the young <laughs> right, kids. Right, right, right. Into all these series. So, you know, you have, to, you have to know the different series. But children are big readers. Of course, you know, people our age and, and adults as well. But children, I would say, are the real focus in a bookstore. And the attention span issue, that hasn't, you haven't felt that. No. With, because our attention spans are all getting so much shorter, which they, is such a shame. They are. But, you know, an amazing thing when you pick up a book is... Um, all of the world, the world goes away, yeah. and you can get lost in it, and you're no longer wondering. You know, slow down a minute and read that book, and turn the page, and you're not thinking, "Oh my gosh, I wonder what's trending currently." Right. <laughs> you're thinking, "I wonder what's on the next page." We need to get away from that. Well, speaking of, of the world being too much with us, Ashley, nonprofits face so many challenges. Um, what is the greatest need that they have? I mean, do they just money? Do they just not know how to access it? And, yeah. and what, what do? How do you all do what you do? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, yeah. So I, I think for a lot of nonprofits that are local to Baton Rouge, it's really a twofold question, right? So one is is a, obviously a funding need. Our community is small. I would say our community is very giving. Um, so I've been really impressed and excited by um, the philanthropic community in Baton Rouge and the opportunity to get to work with them. Um, I would say for those the folks that I work with who are um, working on fundraising, it's it's a twofold question. One, they don't always, don't always have the capacity internally to raise money. Um, development directors who are good at their job are expensive. Um, and so it becomes a question of, well, then how do you... So if you're a little nonprofit that can't hire your own If you're a small nonprofit who can't handle a, a full-time salary and benefits of a strong development director, what do you do? And so I'm really hoping that Ashley Heard Consulting fits that niche. You know, we're able to come in and offer what would otherwise be part-time services, but what I hope is in a really high-quality way. Um, so we're able to toggle back and forth with um, an individual organization's needs, um, meet them where they're at, and also help build capacity internally um, for them to take some of that work ongoing uh, should they decide to move on with us mm -hmm. or, or, or to move on on their own. So I think and that's an exciting you all also do strategic planning and business plans, which is such a critical need for we these do. organizations. Sure. So uh, a good example of that actually is with an organization near and dear to my heart called Brothers Empowered to Teach. And this is an organization out of New Orleans. They expanded to Baton Rouge last year, um, and Brothers Empowered to Teach places um, young men and women of color from local universities in our schools as tutors. Uh, they pay them to tutor students and they work 15 hours a week. The idea behind Brothers Empowered to Teach is we need more teachers of color working in our schools. Our students need to see themselves represented in their educators, and so this is an option, this is an opportunity for young people in our community at the college level to get involved in our schools and then hopefully become teachers later sure. on. Um, so Brothers Empowered to Teach, when they came to expand to Baton Rouge, um, did, I did some work with them to help them understand their organizational strengths and some places where they might think to expand. How has your law degree helped with this endeavor of yours? Excellent. Uh, you know, it's funny. I don't actually practice, uh, and so it's interesting that I actually have a law degree. Um, but it's, it's been instrumental. Um, it helps me with my communication strategy. It helps me think in a very different way. Um, my, my, the way that I work with people changes, um, and I think that's something that I learned from law school, or at least honed in my law school experience. Um, my writing, at least uh, my writing and my oral communication, I think, is a lot tighter as a 
result of <laughs> uh, the difficulty of law school. Uh, so I'm very grateful that I went to law school and that I was able to have that experience. I'm Stephanie Regal. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm talking to Ashley Hurd of Ashley Hurd Consulting and Missy Kuig of The Conundrum. Missy, your background in corporate America, mm-hmm. did it prepare you for the, the life of the small town um, country retailer? <laughs> it did in a way. St. Francisville is an interesting community. It is a small town, but it is such an incredibly creative town that even though we're so small, we have, like you mentioned earlier, all of these book festivals that um, draw people from last year, I believe the Walker Percy weekend, we had people travel in from 21 states and two countries to come attend the event. And that's, and a, so, huge, that's a huge deal. That, really that is, is a yeah. huge deal. I, and it raises money for a fabulous foundation. Um, but it, it, it has made me comfortable enough to get up in front of that crowd, standing there with best-selling authors and academics from, you know, all around the best universities in the country and to feel like I can stand up next to them and introduce them at this event. And I don't think if I didn't have that background, I would be so comfortable sure. doing that or this for that That's matter. That's great. So. <laughs> and, and so tell me a little more about the, the festivals and, and the author events. And sure. So it really helps put St. Francisville on the map and your store. But it, but I mean, it, it's, it, creates an you know an intellectual literary community it does well st francisville like i said is this incredibly creative community where we have living in that community best-selling authors mm-hmm. and um art wonderful artists that were there long before i ever was there and um it's just an interesting mix and they're so supportive of the arts and so it's a natural phenomenon that we should have these events there I can't take credit for them I was an attendee the first year I went to the Walker Percy weekend and um, I love Walker Percy's writing yeah and so I went just as a fan of the books and loved it so much it if you've never been it's something that you should really see it takes southern literature and it wraps it in southern hospitality so it starts with a gala on Friday night there are lectures all day Saturday um, Walker Percy wrote this fabulous lecture, uh, fabulous essay called Bourbon Neat, where he talked about the joys of the perfect bourbon drink sitting wow. on your porch. Oh, that's wonderful. And so we have on Saturday afternoon an event that has become absolutely famous, where St. Francisville is a historic town full of old homes sure. with beautiful porches. Beautiful. And beautiful. so you actually travel from one porch to another on a progressive stroll, tasting a different bourbon drink oh. and food at each stop. That's a great idea. <laughs> it wraps up with a crawfish boil in the park oh, at the end wow. of it on Saturday night. Okay. And then on Sunday, people get together and talk about what they've heard, what they've learned. It's just a magnificent event. Um, and that's now in its fifth year. So bookstore's only been here two years, so I really cannot take credit. <laughs> sure. But how fortunate that you're able to, yes. to piggyback on it and the synergies that it creates for mm-hmm. your business. Absolutely. Well, let me switch gears for a minute from business ladies. This is a part of the show we call Another Great Idea. So maybe you've got a friend who's always got a great idea for you. They tell you about a job to apply for, or that guy you should have a cup of coffee with, or a great investment opportunity you should jump on. And you maybe take this advice, and it turns out to be a disaster, or you dismiss it and you miss out on a great opportunity, maybe it turns out well for you. Can you all think of a situation like this, and did you take the advice or not, and how did it turn out? You know, it's interesting. When I was a, a college senior, I, I went to school in, at Vanderbilt in Nashville, and by the end of, by the beginning, towards, towards the beginning of the second semester of my senior year, I kind of looked up and thought, oh, no, I have no idea what to do. It is time for me to find a job. Um, and really was directionless, really was struggling with what to do, where to go. Um, 
And I heard about this program from my then thesis advisor called Teach for America. I'd never heard of the program. Um, and, and it was interesting because I kind of, as I learned more, I be, that became the one thing that I was really excited to do. You know, I applied to some other jobs and um, thought about some other avenues, but I found myself really dedicating all of my energy into this application for this new program I'd heard about called Teach for America. And that has been, you know, the path that has taken me in a totally different direction. Um, with Teach for America, I moved to Washington, D.C. I taught amazing students at Anacostia High School. I taught high school special ed, um, which has led me to the passion that I have now for programs like the Greater Baton Rouge Hope Academy, uh, a client of mine now. Um, so it really was the way that I got into education that I came to learn the gross inequities in education yeah. and became such a passionate advocate for the work. So when I think about where my life could have gone had I not heard about that program from that particular professor on that particular day in class, it would be a very different experience. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. What about you, Missy? Well. The best advice I ever took is actually rather a funny story. Um, back in 1997, <laughs> I, was, um, I was working for, at the time, um, the National Flood Insurance Program, traveling a huge territory as their training rep for agents. Okay. And um, I would basically be gone all day and all week, get on a plane on Monday, get off on Thursday, do paperwork all day Friday, lay on my sofa and read books all weekend, get back on the plane Monday morning. <laughs> Not a whole lot of a life. And so one day I was sitting with my girlfriends and I said, I think I'm going to get a part-time job on the weekends just to get me out of the house. <laughs> and this girlfriend of mine, Christina Martinez, um, she's, uh, she wasn't Martinez then, I don't think. Maybe she was. I don't remember. But anyway, um, anyway, she was at the time working at this little-known thing out at UNO, they had brought in this baseball team and they were building a stadium and there was the thought that they were going to be able to open a great big stadium and have a minor league baseball team in New Orleans. Okay, I and, remember that. Yeah, and she I said, um, why don't you come? We need suite attendants when we get ready to open in a couple of weeks. You can do that. I said, oh, I'm really not good at serving people. <laughs> and, and she said, oh, no, 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 you do it. And my other friend, Michelle, was there, and Michelle had restaurant experience. And she said, come on, I'll do it if you do it. <laughs> so I did. And because my friend Michelle had restaurant experience, they assigned us to the owner's suite oh, for opening good. night. Right? Yeah. And so... Um, you know, here I am, the girl who does not like to serve people. <laughs> and this guy says to me the first night, first thing on this advice that I took that I did not want to take, he says, where do I get a drink around here? <laughs> and I said, oh, I'll be happy to get that for you, sir. Would you like a soft drink or a beer? Mm -hmm. And he said, no, I want a real drink. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm sorry, sir. This is a baseball stadium. We serve soft drinks and beer. <laughs> and he said, I want to see your boss. And wow. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> Already in so, trouble. So right, here I am, first day on the job I didn't want to take, and now I'm fired. So I go get the head of catering, and I bring him in, and it, the first thing he says is, oh, my goodness, Mr. Kuig, um, what can I do for you? And I'm still going, who is this guy? And so apparently this guy owned the baseball team. Right. <laughs> and, of course. Um, and he said, why can't I get a drink here? And Luis at the time said, well, you didn't ask for a bar on the suite level. And he said, I don't want a bar on the suite level. I want a bar for the whole stadium. Wow. And, yeah. And Luis said, oh, I'm sorry. We, we just don't have it set up. You know, we can get this done in a few weeks. And he said, no, no, no. And he takes out a napkin and he starts writing things down and get these things for me tomorrow. We're opening a bar in the concourse. 
And Louise says, well, we don't have bartenders. And he said, these two girls will do. <laughs> and I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I, I don't know how to make a drink for this. <laughs> right. I didn't want a job in the first place. I don't know how to make a drink. And he said, what's in a Jack and Coke, Blondie? Blondie. Oh. I got the answer right, and today we're married. Ah! So, <laughs> it was the best advice I've ever taken. <laughs> so. oh, that's a great story. That is so funny. You still making him drinks? <laughs> the funny thing is he doesn't even drink Jack and Coke. But he, he, he hates Coke. But just tell me he doesn't boss you around. No, absolutely okay. not. And he doesn't call me Blondie anymore All either. right. So you cut that off pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Ashley, you mentioned Teach for America, and um, I was glad you did, you know, because there are so many young community leaders in Baton Rouge that, that came from there, such as yourself and Sarah Broom and Michael Tipton, and it's been such a much lauded um, organization, but it has come under fire from some critics for being, you know, very elite, and as you alluded to, you know, kids in inner city schools sometimes don't see adults that, that look like them, you know, when they need to see role model teachers. It, do you think that criticism is warranted? And, and as you've stepped away from Teach for America now, um, what do you see? Is that sure. a legitimate criticism? Uh, yeah, you know, I actually, I, re I really like that people ask that question um, because I think Teach for America has done a lot. One, one thing I would say about Teach for America that has been true um, in my experience as a staff member and in my experience as an alum is it is an incredibly reflective organization. Um, so it's an organization that relishes feedback, positive and certainly negative. Um, and I think that this is feedback that it, is, it has received and taken to heart. And so um, while I don't know the numbers, um, mm -hmm. I do know that the core has become significantly more diverse, that the organization has put significant resources in ensuring that that is the case. Um, so you see a lot more efforts of around um, recruiting students from the communities that they are then going to serve, um, so recruiting folks that are local, and you see a lot more efforts in recruiting folks that um, are people of color from low-income communities, really trying to diversify the core. Um, because I think that you're right. I think that there is this um, belief and understanding of Teach for America as previously, yeah. as sort of an um, elitist yeah. organization. And I, and I think that there's some truth to that in the past. I really do. Um, and so I'm, I've been really happy to see the organization dedicate so much time and energy and, frankly, financial resources in diversifying its core. That's great. Um, you know, Louisiana gets a bad rap for, for being so illiterate, and yet, Missy, as you mentioned, or having such low educational attainment, but as you mentioned, there is this, too, this thriving literary community here, and, and I think because our culture is so rich, I mean, our artistic community and, and people around the world know about Walker Percy and Tennessee right. Williams and, you know, some so of the other southern great writers. southern writers, mm -hmm. of course. I mean, what do you make of that dichotomy? What, what is it? Is it is it the inherent conditions here and the inequality that make it so rich for the great writers, I don't know. Well, you know, that's an interesting question. And one of the other literary festivals I work with um, now, this is my first year at chairing that festival, is the Writers and Readers Symposium that takes place in February. And one of the writers who's um, speaking this year is Ernest Gaines. Okay, and another great one. Ernest of Gaines, of course, is an amazing Southern writer um, from New Roads, Point Coupe area, mm -hmm. but actually when he started writing had moved to California and then actually became you know a professor in college there and started writing there and then came back here though because this is home and this is if you look every one of his books is set here though he lived that important yeah. part of his life there so um, and I think we find that a lot in in southern literature is that even if the people move away the heart stays here. Mm -hmm. This is such a community, such a a place that has so much feeling. 
Mm -hmm. And when you're looking for inspiration and you're looking for a story, you just don't find them better than you <laughs> no, do. That's right. That's absolutely right. And this is very, very true. How do you all market your, your respective businesses? And this? Mine's all word of mouth. Is it? Uh, yeah. Um, and, you know, and this is the wonderful thing about Baton Rouge, right? We have a small, deeply connected community. And so um, I've been blessed, but some work has just inevitably led to more work, and that makes me really happy. I really haven't done any marketing. I was convinced to do a, a Facebook profile recently. So I felt pretty okay. proud of that. But beyond that, it's been Not word of mouth. Not even social media, though, just word of mouth. That's correct. Fantastic. I'm going to come from the opposite standpoint. <laughs> if you can help so, me. <laughs> right. So because my entire background is in marketing and sales, I think yep. I got off to a running start. Like I said, the bookstore is only two years old, but we're, we've already been named one of the 10 best bookstores in the state of Louisiana. Um, we have we head up these festivals. We have authors come in from around the country. And I think a lot of that is because I'm not afraid to tell you what's going mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. And so I do, I'm very active um, on social media. We do an Instagram and a Facebook post nearly every day. Um, I write a blog that nice. tales from a bookshop book because one of the things I found was that when I started saying, oh, I've always dreamed of opening a bookstore, so many other people say, oh, I do too. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, people who are never going to open a bookstore but want to live vicariously through, oh, my God, you're yeah. opening a bookstore. And so I started writing a blog about opening a bookstore and what happens on a daily basis and the funny story that ha stories that happen and um, it's really taken off strangely enough and so I do that with a newsletter and um, talk to anyone who will listen about what we're doing. <laughs> How important is is a network of independent booksellers? I mean do you I, I know they have those oh organizations and but I mean there's only like one independent bookstore here in Baton Rouge I know there are a couple in New Orleans you're it is such an amazingly supportive community. I just got back from the American Booksellers Association meeting that was last week in Nashville, where almost 700 independent booksellers came together to learn from each other, to share with each other. When we first decided we were going to open this bookstore, we um, went to the bookstores that we spent most of our time in, which at the time was in New Orleans, and that's at Octavia Books and Garden sure. District Books. And, you know, Britton at Garden District Books particularly, the first thing he said to me was, I said, but I don't even know where to buy a book. <laughs> and he said, um, call this company called Paws and Associates out of Florida. Uh, they'll teach you. Did you know there was actually a book on how to open a bookstore? Oh, and I a love class it. That's about how to right. open a bookstore. Sign me up. I know. So I had no idea. And so I got the book and I sat there on my little courtyard in New Orleans and with sticky notes and I figured out and every time I had a question I go to those guys still to this day and I say so I'm thinking of doing this what do you think and Fantastic. and they're so incredibly supportive and you find that in bookstores one of the reasons that we decided to open a bookstore is because when we travel we go to independent bookstores and since opening the bookstore we've done it even more and now we go in and say we've just opened a bookstore what's the best thing you've done and the worst thing you've done and people from around the country want to share, want to help you, and they want you to be a success. Well, Missy Kuig and Ashley Heard, you ladies are doing so much to elevate the conversation and the level of educational attainment here in our community. And I know it's not easy, but keep up the good work. I appreciate y'all taking the time to be with me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thanks Thank for having you. us. Thank you. Absolutely. It's a joy. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Ashley Heard of Ashley Heard Consulting and Missy Kuig of The Conundrum. 
The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti. And our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. You can see photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our It's Baton Rouge Facebook page. You can hear this show and past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts and at itsbatonrouge.la. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Mansur's for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch is recorded live over lunch at Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily from 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitchell's music is available wherever great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, banking with greater momentum. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. 